Well, it's been already uh, been mentioned that this is a, a day of transitions in many respects, um, more than we anticipated a week ago and several weeks ago when we planned this service. Not only are we, uh, we've been praying and celebrating what uh, God has done in Rose uh, in this place and blessing her as she transitioned into what's next, but that's true for our whole church. Um, we got the news this week, for those of you that didn't know, on Tuesday that uh, the AMC is closing this Thursday. Um, and so we've been in this church for nine years, uh, almost, from the, the, this, this, is the only, this is the only church building my kids know. Uh, this is the only church that Upper Room has ever, the only place that Upper Room has ever been uh, in terms of a worshiping congregation. And so uh, I got a call on Tuesday saying, I just wanted to let you know, next week's closing, so this Sunday will be your last at AMC. And, and I hung up the phone, and I was trying to uh, do what you normally do without thinking, which is breathe, and I couldn't quite do that. <clears throat> um, and then subsequently began to get on the phone and call all, all the other options that we knew were floating around out there, but quite frankly, things were, uh, have been so good here. We've had such a good relationship with, uh, I think, five different general managers over the space of nine years, and AMC has been a, an incredible partner for us and um, God has always blessed us in this place. And so we knew other options existed, but we weren't ready to move to that. And suddenly we found out, well, they had to uh, be another option because we had to move. And I was thinking about, uh, and obviously just processing my own uh, feelings through that. Uh, this is a unique thing. You know, it's, it's um, um, as pastors and elders in this church, we feel a sense of responsibility for the whole church. That's what it means to come and, and take uh, really to say, okay, I will care for this group of people as my own family. And so, um, you know, you can imagine in a sense the, uh, a similar feeling. I don't, I've never had this experience, but if you uh, found out that you had to leave the place you were living, your family had to move out in seven days, you know, what would you do? And, um, <clears throat> and, and I was thinking about in times of transition, when, when change is coming, uh, or times of, of, um, of darkness, where you don't see what's going to come next. Now, the truth is we never see what's coming next, but most times in our life we think we do. We make plans about tomorrow and the next week and the next day, but various times, and certainly this situation in our church, but maybe many of you are familiar with something that has happened in your life where suddenly the uncertainty of the future becomes very obvious to you. It is a time of perplexity or a time of darkness. And now, I was thinking about what, what is the instinctive, instinctive reaction. For some people, it's be strong. You know, be strong. Whatever, whatever it is that you're going you're gonna to face in the future, if, if it's a change or if it's a transition or something you don't know about, it's darkness, it's, uh, it's, maybe it's perplexing, um, maybe it's something difficult. Be strong. Bear up underneath it. Have a stiff upper lip. Be positive. You can do this. For others, you know, it's be afraid. Be very afraid. Suddenly we think, oh no, my worst fears have come true. Or, oh no, that's darkness. I know what's going to happen. This is going to be bad. What's happened now is a bad thing, and it's potential to get worse. Be strong or be afraid. It tends to be. And sometimes we feel both. You feel afraid, and so we are encouraged. Hey, be strong, regardless of what you face. And sometimes for those of us that are followers of Jesus in the church, people can say, oh, don't worry, be strong but we're afraid. Or we think, hey, now we have to be afraid. Before we were, we were ignorant of what was going on, but now we have to be cautious. Now we have to be, maybe you won't use the word afraid, but we have to be conservative. 
Hey, we got to hold our cards a little tightly. Hey, we got to get a little more risk averse because we don't know what's coming. Be strong, be cautious, be afraid, maybe be both. The problem is that with be strong is that sometimes you can't just be strong. Sometimes what has happened in the turn of events, in a sense, you feel has drained you of all of your strengths. And so be strong sounds good, but hard to do. And be afraid or be conservative. Hold our cards tight. In the end can begin to actually affect physically even our bodies. I went home that night on Tuesday, and just as I was lying down to sleep, I could literally feel sickness just come over me. Just got a cold, fever, whatever. Your bodies know. And, and, and so fear, anxiety, we know even we know all, way more than we used to know how connected our emotions are to our health. And what's going on in our minds and our hearts also affects our bodies. And so fear and conservatism is not where we got ourselves to, and it can, in a sense, mark a darker path for us. And what was so interesting is I reflected this week, and I was praying, and you know, we just started this reading through the book of Hebrews. There's a verse that, in that book, that I find to be one of the most stunning verses in Scripture, and I had planned to preach on it anyway this Sunday, uh, a larger section before, but now I just want to read this one verse for you and talk about what I think it means for us. It gives us another option from be strong and be afraid. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He's talking about Jesus. Remember, this is what Tony said last week. Jesus is the event that has changed everything. It explains all of our past and shapes all of our future. His life, his death, his resurrection is the event that has changed everything. And Hebrews says, in light of Jesus and who he is and what he's done, this is what it means for you. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 to 9. Although he was, we have this on the thing. Although he was a son, he's talking about Jesus, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Although he was a son, this is talking about Jesus, think about this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience. He's talking about the Son of God. The Son of God had to learn obedience. What does that mean? Wasn't he God? Yes, he was, but he was a human being. In fact, Hebrews says he was made like us in every way, even to the point that he had to learn to obey through suffering. Now, what is the obedience of Jesus? What did Jesus have to learn if he was God? What did Jesus have to learn? He had to learn obedience. What kind of obedience was it? It was an obedience of faith. It was faith. Jesus came and was, Scripture says, in every way like us, facing fear, uncertainty in this passage, suffering. And what was the suffering that Christ had to face? That he was going to go to the cross and that the plan of God was good and right and eventually would work out for his joy too. And it was an obedience of trust, of faith to say, I know 
that God is trustworthy. I know I can count on him. I know that his plans are good. And as Jesus walked every day on this earth, he lived an obedience of faith, trusting in the Father. He had to depend on him in every way, just as we do. And now what is faith? Now that what I'm going to tell you in a moment is not the exhaustive description of faith. But if what we could normally want to do in times of uncertainty or fear or darkness is say, okay, be strong, be afraid. Faith is the opposite of that. You know what faith is? Be weak, be fearless. Be weak and be fearless. And we don't ever put those two words together, do we? But that is the obedience of faith. Jesus, it says, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was weak. And yet, where did all his power come from? From the Father that he trusted in implicitly. And therefore, he was fearless. See, what I fear is being weak. That's what I felt this week. I felt as if all of the strength in me was gone. And I had one of those moments with my elders, you know, where I just kind of broke down. And after you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be strong. I don't like being weak. And yet the posture of faith in our lives is be weak and be fearless. How does that work? Because when things like this come into our lives, uncertainty, news that we didn't expect, a turn of events. Something has in your life happened that way. Something may come in the future where at the very least there's uncertainty and maybe more, maybe fear, maybe darkness, maybe danger, maybe suffering. What happens in that moment? We suddenly realize how weak we are. We suddenly realize, wait a second, there are so many things going on around me that I cannot control. And if any one of them or all of them were to happen to break down or fail or change, suddenly I would be powerless. And so we work so hard in our lives to give the illusion of strength and stability when the truth is most of what goes on in our lives we cannot control. I felt this week when I got the call that God says, yeah, you're not going to be here, and I can close every other door you call. Your church could be done next week. I've felt that in times before when I'm preparing a message, when something's not coming. I felt like God's saying, BJ, I can shut you down at any moment. At any moment that this church ceases to bring me glory, I can stop it because I raised it up for my purposes. And if I feel I'm finished with it, that is my prerogative. What does that do to you? Suddenly you realize, wait, I am not in control. And as a Christian, what does that do? We start to feel weak. And instead of fighting the weakness, wait, what happens? God starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger in our eyes. We start to realize, wait, you are all we ever had. You were the one making everything happen. You are the only one I can count on for the future. As we get smaller, instead of fighting weakness, instead of saying, oh, I'm going to be strong, we say, wait, I'm going to recognize exactly who I am. A weak little speck on this massive universe. 
And when I see that, I will start to see you getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what happens when God gets bigger in our eyes? We get bolder. We become fearless. What have I to fear? Scripture says, if God is for me, who can be against me? This is faith, to be weak and fearless. None of us love to be weak, but all of us would love to be fearless, wouldn't we? They are the two things that go together. It's what it means to trust in a God who is bigger than all that we are. It's what it means to honestly remember who we are. When we are strong, we don't need faith. I'm fine. If I'm fine, I don't need God. When I realize, wait a second, I'm not fine. I've been living in an illusion anyway. And times like this start to pull the rug out and we start to realize, wait, I'm not in control of most of what happens in my life. I am weak, but he is great. This was the life of Jesus, right? Yes, he's the one who fed the 5,000, but what did he do before he did? Prayed, broke bread, Father, thank you that you're doing this for me. What did he say? I can do nothing except what the Father tells me to do. He trusted the Father going to the cross and going into the grave that God was going to be faithful to raise him from the dead. He was so weak. He was weak in front of his accusers, but he was without fear. He was crying in the garden, oh God, please, if there's another way, but not my will, yours. And he gets up and he says, come, those who have betrayed me are here. He faced his accusers fearless because he was weak and totally dependent on his father. That is faith. Thus brings things that we would otherwise say don't belong together, weakness and fearlessness together. That is the life. And look what the writer of Hebrews says. He is the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. What is our obedience? It is an obedience of faith in Christ that we are weak, but he is everything. Now, what is the substance of your faith? I was listening to my dad preach a few weekends ago, and he used this analogy, which I think is so powerful. See, faith is not about the amount. It's not about the amount of faith that we have. It's about the quality of the object in which we have faith. And he gave this example. He said someone puts on wings of a very, you know, a very powerful bird, gets a bunch of feathers, stitches them together, and believes with all their heart that if they jump off a skyscraper downtown, that they will fly. The amount of their faith is gigantic. Will they fly? No. Because the object of their faith, the wings, were not worth the trust. Now, my mom hates to fly. She hates the whole process. Doesn't believe in any of it. Gets on a plane a couple weeks ago, and they're in California right now. Steps off on another side of the world. Now, was her faith, is what, her faith what got her there because it was so great? No. The object of the thing she could barely trust in was more than capable to carry her off the ground and land her somewhere else. It is not the amount of your faith that keeps you weak and fearless. It is the object in which you have faith. Faith by itself is nothing. It all comes down to the one that we are having faith in. Is he worthy of it? And the answer is yes. And ironically, we find that out more when we are weak, then when everything is going fine. 
right? Interesting. Suffering comes into our lives. Uncertainty comes into our lives. And we think, well, God, where are you? Aren't you strong enough to help me through this? You know? And I know I got an email from a friend saying, hey, oh, this is amazing news for Upper Room. Wow, I wish answers to prayer would come that quickly in my life. (laughs) Right? I get it. What would we do? I thought, what would I do if I found out my own home was going to disappear in seven days and I had to move my family? What would I do? But in times of suffering, we have a choice to say, fine, I'm going to be strong by myself. I'm going to figure this out by my way, by myself, or realize, wait a second, all this time he has carried me. You know the poem Footprints? I heard someone preach on it. The, the poem says, you know, there's a man walking and he sees two uh, uh, footprints uh, on the beach. And, then, uh, and they were footprints during the times in his life that was really sort of uh, good and blessing. And there were two sets of footprints. And then in the times of really difficult times, there was only one set of footprints. And he says to God, God, it's, you know, I, I'm happy that you walked with me through the good times, but through the dark times, there was only one set of footprints. And God says to him, well, that, at those times I carried you. But I heard someone preach on it and said, that poem's actually false. There's always only one set of footprints in our lives. God is always carrying us. And at times like this, when the bubble bursts and uncertainty comes and we don't know what's going to happen, what does it remind us? Hey, you have always been carried by me. I have always been faithful, so don't doubt me now. And it is an opportunity to know more than ever. Rose, what you are heading into is an opportunity to know more than ever. I know you know he's faithful, but now you will know more than ever. In times of uncertainty, and you don't know what's ahead, all you knew was you were following God. That you will know now, wait a second, I'm weak, but I'm fearless because he is everything to me. It's an opportunity for us in this church. And what is ahead? Yes, God has provided a new place to be, but that's just the beginning. Many more things will come in your own life. Perhaps you're going through something right now, or you have, or you will. To know they are opportunities to remember that there was always only been one set of footprints in your life, that he always carries you. And when that happens and you acknowledge your own weakness, he begins to get so great in our eyes that we become fearless. And we start to pray bold and act boldly instead of being conservative and being afraid. Why? Because we start to, I have nothing to lose because I have nothing. He is everything to me. I want to finish just by reading, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. A passage of scripture that I've never memorized the whole chapter, but as I read it again this week, I'm like, I got to do it. If you've never, this is like, man, there's, the Bible's full of amazing stuff, but this is like, like if you're a meat eater, this is like a a, a 16 ounce medium rare, like this is steak. The cold beer. If you're a vegetarian, this is like a lettuce wrap tofu thing with quinoa <laughs> and carrot juice, whatever it is. <clears throat> Listen to this, okay? This is the prophet Isaiah, and he's speaking to the people. A voice says, that's the voice of God, cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? Listen, all men are like grass. All their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are like grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. Right? I am weak, but I'm fearless. I have nothing because he is everything. 
And Jesus himself made himself like the grass, like one of us, and put all of his faith in his Father. The prophet continues, you who brings good tidings to Zion. Zion is the place of the people of God. To this place, AMC is Jerusalem, it's Zion. It's not about the building, we're leaving this one. It's the place where the people of God, you who bring good news, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, the people of God, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Now listen, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young and that are young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked out the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales or the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and taught him the right way? Who was it that, showed, uh, that taught him knowledge and showed him the path of understanding? Answer, no one. He alone does it. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He, God, sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to nothing and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. There is nothing you can count on as permanent except him. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry house one by one and calls them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now listen, those of us that would be tempted to say, God, don't you see what I'm going through? Can't you see my plight? Can't you see that I can't see? Look what he says. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. You want God's power? You're going to be weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's stand up, church, and let's close this place down today by worshiping our God, who is so much greater to recognize we are weak, but we are fearless because we are nothing and you are everything. Would you please stand? I think I already gave you a benediction for about 20 minutes. So why don't we just, why don't I just close uh, praying for you, praying for all the employees in this place. They've been so good to us. We just want to pray that God will lead them into what's next for them. I've been talking to a few of them this week. And so we'll just pray his blessing over this and where we go from here. If it doesn't trip your weird meter, you can open your hands like that too. Lord God, we thank you that um, you are the one that sends rain on the earth. A little too much lately, but we trust you. 
as faithful as the seasons are, you are more. And Isaiah said, look around, look up at the sky. Who do you think does all this? You see us in our frailty. Our way is not hidden from you, and we thank you. You are not just God up there. You are God with us, and you go before us. And so we ask you to do that. Go before us, Lord. For each one, whatever came to mind this day in our own transitions, our own private lives, but also as, our, as this community together, this family faces uh, the next chapter, we thank you for all that you have done in rows and through rows and in this church and over the nine years here, uh, 70 or 85 people when we first started, 250 now, so many baptisms at the front of this room, so many dedications people who had no church home, Lord, coming to this place and finding you to be all that you are and more. And it has nothing to do with this building. We thank you that you are the holy ground we stand on. You are the roof over our heads. You are our joy and our song in the night. You are the one that protects us and guides us. And so go before us into what's next. We pray that you would bless whatever happens at this building next, this whole interchange, this whole 407 area, which now we're moving even closer into the heart of. We pray that you would cement us as a part of this city. Whatever the name on the top of the door says, it doesn't matter to us, God. But you can make us deeply rooted, and we pray for that. Bless these employees here, God, and Jason, especially the general manager who who has been so good to us. I pray that you would guide him into what's next for his life. Cover them. Many of us have had that. We've been through job uncertainty, Lord. We know how it feels. And so we pray that you would guide, that our presence here would have been your presence in their lives and that they would not only just come to get a better job, but they would come to know you. We thank you for all that you've done and I just pray that the rest of this morning would be a celebration as we eat cake and load trucks, that we would do it all with the joy, with the song in our heart to know that it is the same God you are yesterday, today, forever. And you are ours and we thank you in your name. Amen. Go in peace.